Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the LA area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Have you ever found yourself in a difficult place? Four people. Come on, church. You ever found yourself in a difficult place? Okay, I'm not alone. So did Titus. Titus was sent to Crete. Now, you remember what they said about Cretans and what Cretans said about themselves. They were liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. But God loved those liars. He loved those evil beasts. He loved those lazy gluttons that he sent Titus there to show his love. Some of them got saved. But then there were people in the church that were difficult to deal with. And Titus was arguing with them about all kinds of foolishness. Paul says they're heretics. He called them perverts. Because they were perverting people away from the truth of God to suit their own agenda, bringing division in the church. And the church can't be afraid to call those kind of people out. They're called sheep in wolf's clothing. Now there's a way that we do it. The Bible says we're to go to them once and twice. Even Titus, Paul would tell Titus to follow what Jesus said in Matthew 18 and go to them two times. But after the second time and the third time, you're to call them out publicly. And that's exactly what Paul was doing when he wrote Titus. Now, just be Titus for just a moment. Just be the pastor there in Crete. And Paul has written a letter calling these people heretics and perverts. You be Pastor Titus in the lobby on that Sunday when that church is read. Talk about difficult places that we find ourselves. I've been in some difficult places in my life. Oh, I'll never forget. You see, Andre and I, we lived in the village, and we would have to, when we were serving in Africa, and we would have to leave the village once a month and go into town and buy all of our goods and then drive back. Well, we would buy a 100-pound bag of rice, a 100-pound bag of sugar. We'd buy a 100-pound bag of beans and oil, and we'd get some canned meat because we were feeding 26 people were living in our home. We had a small army living in our home. And it was wise because we were living in the middle of a war. You wanted a lot of people in your home so that if someone attacked, you at least had some form of protection. Well, we left on a Friday, and we'd come back on a Friday. But this particular Friday, our car broke down. And Andre said, well, why don't you pray? And I said, well, we need to get to a mechanic and pray for the mechanic. <laughs> and she said, well, why don't you pray? So I didn't. And we tried to fix the car. And then with Saturday, we tried to fix the car. Sunday in the morning, I woke up. I loaded the car back with all of our goods, trying to fix the car. We had to get back for church. I was in a difficult place. And all the while, my wife is like, did you pray over the car? Did you pray over the car? Sunday came and went. Finally, Monday morning, I load up the car again, and we work on the car again, and my wife comes up to me, and she goes, did you pray? I said, Andrea, God is not a mechanic. He blesses people to be mechanics. Oh, did you pray? So I said, okay. Dear Jesus, for my wife's sake, would you fix this car? 
I literally put the key in the ignition and it started. This is not my friend's story. This is my story. Like, it happened. You ask my wife. And the car started. Then I found myself in a difficult place the whole way back to the village. Andrea was there singing, This is the day. This is the day. And I'm like, That the Lord has made. I'm in a difficult place with my wife now. She's right. Jesus is the best mechanic that there is. But then we get back into our village and the whole church meets us on the road. They're pulling us out of the car, screaming, you're alive, you're alive, we can't believe it. See, on Friday, a group of rebel soldiers, I told you we were living in a war, a group of rebel soldiers came into our town with a hit list of nine people and I was number nine. And the reason being is, When people would go behind the lines knowing that I had a ministry there, they put my ministry at risk and would use my name. And one particular group took expired medication to the rebels, so the rebels thought I was trying to poison them with expired medication, so they were going to kill me. found myself in a difficult place. And I knew that if I didn't do anything about it, once they found out, now let me tell you something, praise God that our car broke down on Friday, and praise God I didn't think to pray until Monday. You see, God used me somehow. (laughs) I'm alive. I keep telling my wife, that's the redemption of that story. But I knew I had to do something, so I went and took the car, and I drove straight to the rebel compound. These are children with M16s and AK-47s. And when I drove up, I realized I was the only one foolish enough to go. I realized I'm the only one in the car. And I drove five miles to get to this rebel base. I get out of the car, and they all start running with me with AK-47s and M16s, and I realize I'm in a difficult place. Kill him! Kill him! He tried to kill us! And all I can say is the Spirit of God came upon me, and though I was terrified, I looked at him, you're going to kill me? Well, you're going to hear my story before I die. I did not bring those drugs. Someone else did, and you're going to kill me for what someone else did? One of the kids looked at me, like a nine-year-old kid, he looked at me and goes, oh, we're sorry. <laughs> you're sorry? What were you going to say, sorry to my wife after you killed me? Pape, that's what they called me. I was like 26 years old, and they were seven and eight. Pape, Pape, we're sorry. Let me tell you something. I know what it means to be in a difficult place. What about you? Take a look at this. Maybe this isn't the best time to say it, but uh, I think you're really beautiful. Well, I... I've always been attracted to you, too, Paul. Wait, hold on one sec, babe. Excuse me? Want to get away? Have you ever been in a difficult place? Do you remember those Southwest commercials, you want to get away? Oh, have you ever been in a difficult... We can find ourselves in difficult places for many reasons. Like Job, maybe the Lord put you there. Like Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego, who were put in a fire, maybe someone else has put you in a difficult place. Maybe like King David with Bathsheba, you've put yourself in a difficult place. You see, there are many difficult places that we can find ourselves. You can be in a difficult place spiritually, feeling distant from God, almost as if you're in a desert without the living water. Mentally, 
You're overthinking everything and you're filled with anxiety. You can be in a difficult place financially wondering, how am I going to pay off this debt? Socially, you could feel rejected or even alone. You could be in an emotionally difficult place with this oppressive sadness or physically you've got a recent diagnosis or there's chronic pain or a sickness. Maybe relationally, you're in the difficult place of divorce or a breakup, even a disagreement, or a prodigal child. And if there's anyone who's an expert on dealing with difficult places, it's the Apostle Paul. He knew difficult, and he knew difficult places. Take a look, if you would, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at the difficult that he found himself in, in verse 23. He is refuting the fact that he is a minister of God as compared to other people who are false teachers. And 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, he says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool and more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often, means he almost died many times. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. I don't know why the Bible can't say 39. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've been in the deep. In other words, he slept in the ocean. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. I don't know about you. But sometimes you read what the Apostle Paul wrote and you ask yourself, is this guy for real? And then he would write things like this, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul knew difficult places. Take a look at Romans 5, 3. He just had talked about the peace of God. And he says, not only do we get the peace of God, not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Is this guy for real? You know what he's saying? Not only do we get the peace of God, we get to suffer. <laughs> but he was for real. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says that the apostles were put on display for our example. And in Acts chapter 27, we see God put the Apostle Paul on display. You know the story. He is appealed to Caesar, and now he's on a Roman ship going to Rome across the Mediterranean, but the wrong time of year. He's going during the hurricane season, during the winter season, cyclone season. So he knows it's not the right time to go, and he tells them, you need to stay in this safe harbor. But the Romans think, you just don't want to face your trial, so we're going. And they go. And that night, a storm came upon them, and the Bible says they did not see the sun for 14 days. The soldiers wanted to throw the prisoners overboard after they threw the food and all of the water trying to keep the, the ship afloat. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on a storm in the ocean, but it's a difficult place to be. And there the Apostle Paul, he is praying. And he goes to the soldiers and he says to them, I have been praying for you. 
And the Lord has told me that not one of you will lose your life. And then in the middle of the storm, he starts serving them food so that they can eat. Now just imagine, he's doing it like this as he's trying to serve them on this boat. And then they strike shore. The boat is going down. All of them jump overboard. And the Bible says they swam on boards to the beach. The first surfing in all of the Bible. When they got there in the pouring rain, Paul is making a fire for the soldiers who wanted to kill him so that they could get warm. And as he's walking towards the fire, a snake comes out of one of the sticks and bites him, and he shakes it off, and he goes and gets more sticks to make everyone else warm. Now, all of the islanders were watching after the snake bit him, and they're no different than like the people today who take out their phones and video the fight instead of stop the fight. And they're just sitting there looking, is he going to die? <laughs> well, let me tell you something, he's probably a murderer, that's why a snake bit him. Let's just watch and see if he's going to die. Take your phone out, let's video it so we can put it on social media. Unbelievable. He lives And now they think he's a God. He points them to Jesus Christ. And the very people that were going to let him die, he starts healing. And a major revival breaks out on this island. Who is this guy? He's an expert. He's an expert on how to make it through difficult places. So we're going to learn how from an expert. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Just go back a couple of pages. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to pick it up in verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. This word offense is the word to stumble. Paul had made a decision in his life. I don't want anyone to stumble because of me. So many people blame Christians for why they don't follow God because they've watched us in our difficult places. And unfortunately, some of them got some credibility. And Paul made a commitment, I'm not going to do anything or say anything in my difficult places to cause anyone to stumble. This is going to take some purpose. Do you remember when Daniel was in his difficult place? He was carried off as a slave to Babylon. Do you remember what happened? Oh, they, wanted to, they gave him everything the flesh could offer. He could eat whatever they wanted. He could have whatever he wanted. He could, they, could, they were just feeding his flesh. And the Bible says that when Daniel was in his difficult place, take a look, Daniel chapter 1, but Daniel, even though he was getting everything he could ever want in a difficult place, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. So it's going to take a little purpose on our parts. It's going to take some chutzpah. It's going to take some effort on our part when we're in our difficult place to do what it is that God is asking us to do. And we need to purpose because other people are watching us, our children, our families, our friends. We don't want them to use us as an excuse of why they don't come to God. So Paul, he's definitely an expert. Take a look, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience. In other words, I've endured a lot in tribulations and needs and distresses, in stripes, imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. You see, Paul was challenging the faith of the Corinthians. 
He was challenging the faith of the Corinthians. So they were challenging his authority. My children did this all the time. As soon as I would challenge them, they would challenge me back. Anyone have a child like that? Anyone? 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 I know your children are perfect and mine were the only wrong ones. And here Paul, like a good parent, is challenging the kids of the church, or he's challenging the church, and they're challenging him back. Are you, what a, who gave you authority to tell us what to do anyway? So Paul lets them know that God gave his authority. And what Paul does is he lists the credentials by which makes you able to obtain the title minister of God. Now when we read this, It's a little bit different than our 21st century list. In our 21st century list, it goes like this. You apply to seminary. You attend seminary. You write a few research papers. You debate a few professors and a few students. Then you graduate and you apply for a job at a church. That's a list of credentials you read today. But God has a different list for his ministers. And Paul gives the list that God gives, because we're called as ministers, this is every one of us, to be a living sacrifice. So we're going to find ourselves in difficult places. And Paul lists nine things that he patiently endured to be called a minister. The Bible says he, he went through tribulations, trials under pressure. He had daily needs. Listen, when he was in jail, if you didn't have family member come and feed you, you didn't eat. You didn't get three square a day in the jails in the first century world. You're on your own. He says, I was in distresses. This means that he was squeezed to go down a narrow road. Now remember what Jesus said. It's not going to be our memory verse this week. I'm going to build for it. But it's Matthew chapter 7, because narrow is the gate. Read it with me. And I You sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. Because nobody wants to say it. And difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Difficult places. The Bible says that they beat him. Five times he got 39 lashes. You get one and see how you do. You get one. Go, Go ahead. Just get one and see how you do. Imprisonments. He went to a Philippian jail in tumults. He was in a riot in Ephesus where they wanted to tear him apart. No wonder Paul, and then Paul would say something like Philippians chapter 3.10, that he might know the sufferings of Christ. Who is this guy? Then he says there were labors, there were sleeplessness, and there were fastings. You see, where minister is the job title... Labors, sleeplessness, and fastings are the job description. I know this. Thursday night, I taught a Bible study here. Friday morning, I hopped on a plane, got there around 11.30 midnight in Nassau, Bahamas. Saturday morning, I did a funeral, had the opportunity to participate in the funeral. Then Saturday late morning, I got on another, excuse me, Saturday afternoon, I got on another flight to get back home last night around 11 o'clock to be able to be here with my most favorite church in the entire world. Let me tell you something. If minister is the job title, he just gave the job description. And if anyone knew about 
difficult places, it was the Apostle Paul. So if you're the expert, Apostle Paul, and you made it through every time, and God put you on display, I need to figure out how did you make it through your difficult place each time. And he tells us. It's 2 Corinthians. Would you take a look at chapter 6, verse 6? By purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. You see, Paul gives nine tools of the Holy Spirit. There were nine situations, nine difficult places that he found himself in, and now he gives nine tools of the Holy Spirit as if to say, God has everything covered. Keep your eyes on the Lord. And so he gives us these tools in this toolbox so that we can accomplish the task of making it through difficult places. Now, this is my toolbox. That's my tool belt. Now, I don't know if you know this about your pastor, but your pastor loves to build. In fact, during Christmas, now you guys know me. Thank God I don't drink coffee. I have so much energy. During Christmas, I decided to build a pergola in my backyard. Most, most busiest season of the year, I looked at Andrea and go, I'm going to build a pergola. She's like, are you crazy? We have choir practice. You've got to be here. You've got to be there. I know, but I got Saturday. I'll finish it. I built my house in, when we lived in Montana. I built my house in Montana. I just love to build. You see, I'm an immigrant son. My dad was a wannabe carpenter. Well, he's also a wannabe plumber. When we came over from the Bahamas, let me tell you something. We didn't call a plumber or a carpenter. We were the plumber or carpenter. My dad raised me, if you walk, you work. That's just the way I grew up. So I learned these trades just by working alongside with him. So I, was, I loved to build. And so I've got my toolbox. And in this toolbox is everything I need to build what I want to build. And you've got a spiritual toolbox that you can get into when you go through your difficult places so that God can build your life. So let me see what's inside this toolbox here. Oh, my goodness, some sandpaper. Do you know what I call this sandpaper? I call this the sandpaper of purity. Purity. You see, this word purity is to keep yourself morally clean. And sandpaper, what it does is it sees a blemish on the piece of pine or oak or walnut, and you put some effort into it, and you make that piece of pine pure by getting rid of that impurity. But the, sand, but the piece of pine... He don't like it. Ouch! You're hurting me! I'm really helping you. You see, by the sandpaper of purity, we have a responsibility, whether we feel like it or not, to find our morality not in the way that we feel, but in our faith. And that's found in scriptural principles. The Ten Commandments, the golden rule. And some of you go, well, I follow the golden rule when I'm in the midst of my difficult places. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. They were mean to me, so I'm being mean back to them. No, you've missed the whole point. You've missed the golden rule. You see, the temptation in a difficult place is to give in to the voice that says, hey, you're in a difficult place. It's been rough. You deserve a little sin in your life. But the sandpaper of purity It just scrubs away that sin as you stay committed to the word. Then, he says, by knowledge. Oh, let me see what's in my toolbox here. Oh, my goodness. I got a flashlight. 
And I call this the flashlight of knowledge. Because when I'm in a dark place and I can't see what I'm working on, when I turn this light on, I can see everything very clearly. I told you I like to build, so my daughter, they bought a house. And she asked me in the summer to go up in her attic and fix something. They live in the desert. I lost 25 pounds in 25 minutes. I literally melted. No, I came down and I had half of my body I left up in that attic. And I learned very importantly, you don't work in the attic in the desert in California. Okay, I'm learning. I'm from the Bahamas. You guys, you can, you can, you can bear with me. But the beautiful thing about the flashlight of knowledge is that we've been, the light of God has shined on us in the light of the gospel. And Paul had a knowledge of the gospel. Let me tell you what the gospel is. Jesus was good and kind to evil people in difficult situations. He was good and kind. In fact, he died on a cross to prove he's good and kind when he's in a difficult spot. This knowledge gave Paul the practical understanding on how to deal with people in difficult places. Do you remember when he was chained to the Roman guard? Do you know what he did? I can't believe I'm chained to you. Not Paul. He's chained to the Roman guard, and he's got the flashlight of knowledge, and he goes, you need Jesus, and we're chained. You're not going anywhere. Let me give you the gospel, because you ain't going nowhere. He turned his obstacles into opportunities because he had the flashlight of the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus. Do you remember when he was in jail and he wrote a letter of encouragement while he was in jail? He wrote a letter of encouragement to the Philippian church because he had the flashlight of the knowledge of the gospel. He says, by long suffering. Let me see what's in my toolbox here. Now, don't judge me. The first service judged my toolbox, but I know you guys won't judge my toolbox. This is the screwdriver, the Phillips head of long-suffering. You know why? Because when you're putting a screw in with a screwdriver, you've got to put effort in, and it takes a long time. You see, most people buy these. We like to just and put it in there. But if you want to learn long-suffering, oh, you do it the old-fashioned way, and you just take your time. You see, this word, long-suffering, it refers to the ability to patiently endure someone who insults you when you're in a difficult place. It always happens. Someone will say something. Do you know when we first went to Liberia and we pulled into the town that we were moving in, we got stoned and spit on? Our first day, welcome. (laughs) Long-suffering actually means suffering long. It means taking your time to realize it's going to be difficult setting your mind. You've got to set your mind to it. But it's not just a matter of making it through. You see, making it through is the way the world does it. They're not a Christian. Long-suffering for a Christian, look at the prayer of Paul for the church in Colossae. He prayed for them to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with... Keep that in mind because we're going to get back to that in just a moment. We don't just long-suffer. 
we long suffer with joy. But then he says, listen, you want to make it through a difficult place? It's going to be by kindness. Let me see what else is in this toolbox here. I want everyone to notice it's a DeWalt. And I call this the hammer of kindness. Because kindness is love in action. It hammers the point to someone that you are going to love them no matter where you find yourself in life. It's the hammer of kindness. Because kindness is the outworking of love. Look what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love suffers long and is... Did it say love suffers kind is mean? No, love suffers long and is kind. In fact, in Galatians 5.22, we learn that the fruit of the Spirit is love, and love is displayed in kindness. As an orange tree produces orange, a Christian produces love from their tree of life. Now, you're going to have to purpose to do this. You're going to have to be like Daniel to purpose to love people when you find yourself in a difficult situation because usually in difficult situations, we're on edge. But he says, Paul, I've made it through by kindness. Then he says, by the Holy Spirit. I call this the tool belt of the Holy Spirit. Here's what a tool belt does. It gives you easy access to all your tools wherever you're at. I told you I built a pergola over Christmas. And I don't know if you know this about your pastor, but I hate heights. When I go flying in an airplane, as soon as I cross the threshold, I say, Jesus, I don't care if the pilot is a Christian or not. Would you fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit? I am entrusting my life to some one person. And there is nothing but air between me and 45,000 feet of dropping. And I think about it, I don't care how long the flight is, at least once an hour, something will come to me where I go, there is nothing below you. I live in it. So I go to the top of my pergola, which is about 10, 12 feet above the ground, and I'm looking down. I was so thankful that I didn't have to go up and down a ladder because I had easy access to all my tools in my tool belt. You see, the Spirit of God gives us easy access to all the tools that he affords us. All we have to do is ask him. All we have to do is go and ask God for those tools, and he gives us easy access to it. Now, the best way for us to understand when he says, by the Holy Spirit, the Greek of this is by the spirit of holiness, that we have a spirit of holiness about us, that we strap the Holy Spirit to us. Take a look at what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Put your toolbox on, tool belt. Be sober. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, keep your eye on Jesus no matter what you're going through. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust. Don't give in to what you used to do, as in your ignorance. But as he who called you, listen to it, is holy, You also be holy in all your conduct, even your difficult places, because it's written, be holy, for I am holy. Hey, church, let me tell you what happened. When you got saved, you were born again, and you got God's DNA. And he is holy. He's holy. 
So you've got to fix your eyes on Jesus, and let me tell you why. When an athlete wants to win, he or she changes the way they live, the way they think, what they eat, what they drink, and how they behave. They will do anything because they've set their mind on getting the medal. And it doesn't matter what they have to sacrifice because they have the goal in mind. They've rested their hope fully upon the gold medal and they're going to do anything it takes to get there. Our gold medal is Jesus. And he's asked us to strap on holiness and the Spirit gives us easy access to all of these tools. So what wouldn't we do in order to make it through our difficult place by the power of the Holy Spirit? But then he says, by sincere love. This cannot operate unless it's connected to the battery of love. It just, it it doesn't work without the battery of love. The battery is the source of the power that keeps the tool going. Now, sometimes this battery needs to be recharged. And as Christians, we do that through worship. When we, our love meter is low, we get into church and we raise our hands and realize what Jesus has done for us. And our love meter gets recharged. But the way that our faith works is through love. Take a look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Look what he says. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. Let me put it in modern English. It don't matter if you're a Baptist or a Methodist. He says this. Faith working through love. Our faith doesn't work through anger. Our faith doesn't work through being mean. Our faith doesn't work through being unkind. Our faith works through love. It only works through love. You can't put diesel in an unleaded tank and think you're going to get far. You can't. So if you put hatred in your tank, your faith ain't going to work. If you put bitterness and frustration in your tank, your faith ain't going to work. But when you connect to the battery of love, and let me tell you something, it's better than the long-suffering screwdriver. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Our faith works through love. Then he says this. By, you want to make it through your difficult place, by the word of truth. Now, I call this the Google of construction. The Google of construction. Because if you don't know how to build it, Google it. In today's world, I am a master of all trades. I can fix it. I can build it. I I even decided, I'm not a mechanic. And I decided to do something mechanical with my car, so I Googled it. And guess what? I did it. Now, my wheel's been cockeyed ever since. But... I Googled it. As believers, our Google is the Word of God. It has the answer on how to deal with life when you're in a difficult place. And just like when I don't know what to do, I default Google. When we are stuck in our situation that is difficult, default the Word of God. Let me tell you something. 
and my computer up in my office. When I press print, enter, I don't tell it which printer to go to. It automatically defaults to the printer I've set it to. Christians, set your default to the word of God. As soon as you find yourself in a situation that's difficult, get to the word. Then he says this, by the power of God. The extension cord of power. You see, eventually that battery is going to lose power and it's going to need to be plugged in. We got to be plugged into the source of power. And even Jesus knew we needed it. In Luke chapter 24, take a look what he says. He tells the disciples, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. But Terry... Wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. You know what Jesus is saying? You're going to need help. you got to stay connected to the power source. He is the Holy Spirit. And when you can't do it, it's God's perfect place for you to realize you need help. You need power. You need the extension cord of God's power. You got to be connected. You got to ask. You got to be in prayer. You got to be in the word when you're in the midst of your difficult places. But what the enemy wants to do is keep you from those things. So he says the way that you can make it through your difficult place is by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Let me see what I got in here. I have the gloves of righteousness. Oh, I got new ones and I got old ones. And I got a right hand and I got a left hand because the devil is not going to give you an inch because he hates you. And you've got to realize he's going to attack you from all sides. And let me tell you what gloves do. Gloves protect you. They protect your hands and they actually give you the ability to stick to it, to hold on to it. Your hands might not be able to grasp it, but when you put a glove on, you're able to stick to whatever it is that you're holding on to. The gloves of righteousness. Because your enemy is not going to relent. He's not going to give up. His goal is to steal, kill, and destroy your life. In fact, listen to what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5. Be sober. Put your tool belts on. Get your tool belt. Be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Watch this. As big and ferocious as that tiger was, did any of you see him sitting down in the grass? He was 10 feet away the entire time from that elephant. Now, if I had to show you again, you would see where he's moving in the grass. Your enemy is crouched down in the grass. I'm a little concerned because I may not be able to get back up. <laughs> okay, here we go. Oh, yes. Okay, we did it. <laughs> Hurt, but I did it. And man, when you least expect it, 
he's going to attack. So you've got to have your gloves of righteousness on the right and on the left. And he will attack you mentally. He'll attack you emotionally. He will attack you financially. He'll attack you every Ali he can think of because he wants to kill you. So Paul gives us these nine tools. And I want you to see what these nine tools did for Paul's life. Take a look. We close here. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8. By honor and dishonor. So some people praised him and some people hated him. Some people spoke bad of him by evil report, and some people spoke good of him, good report. As deceivers, now take a look at his perspective, yet true. As unknown and yet well known. In other words, I'm known by God. I don't care if anyone else knows me. As dying, and behold, surprise, we live. As chastened and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Do you see what the tools afforded by heaven has given the Apostle Paul? A power perspective. His obstacles became opportunities because he kept taking tools out of his spiritual toolbox. That's how he made it through difficult places. And look at his perspective. He says this, if you'll take a look, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Do you realize you can rejoice in a difficult place? Paul said this in Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again. I'll say it again. Rejoice. We'll close with this story. It's actually found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. King by the name of Jehoshaphat. Not a great name. You don't have to name your child that, okay? His name is Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat's being attacked by a group of enemies. Five of them. The whole army, five armies have come against him. They're going down. I mean, they're outnumbered five to one. There's no way they're going to make it. So Jehoshaphat calls all of Israel to come and meet at the temple. So everybody come and everybody's freaking out. You can read the story. Oh God, what are we going to do? We don't know. We are in a difficult place. Help us out. And there's a guy. Bible calls him the son of Asaph. Let me tell you who that is. Years before this, David appointed a group and a family, the Asaph family, to be the worship leaders in the church. His job was to constantly praise and rejoice in the Lord. That was his job his whole life. To praise and rejoice in the Lord. He had a power perspective. In the middle of a difficult situation, he had a power perspective. And you know what he said to Jehoshaphat? He said this. He said, Jehoshaphat, why have you come here crying? This battle belongs to the Lord. So, The perspective of praise and joy saw the victory, not the enemy. So you know what Jehoshaphat did? Smart king. He goes, okay, since you think we can win by joy, (laughs) you lead the army. So you know what this guy did? He put a choir together. And they went into battle singing. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming... Glory, glory, hallelujah, glory. Stop, stop. (laughs) Okay, I'm not going to battle with you. Do you think they were singing like that? 
they saw the victory because they lived in the joy. And let me tell you what Nehemiah says. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Come out of the misery of the enemy and see the victory and you'll have joy. Take out your toolbox and start using the tools of the Apostle Paul. You'll make it through. Amen? Amen. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And our prayer now is that you would be glorified in our lives. Jesus, I'm going to pray now for those that find themselves in a difficult place. Um, Church, if that's you, would you raise your hand? You're in a difficult place right now and you you need to get your toolbox. Lord, I come before you and I'm praying for every hand that is raised. They're in a difficult place. And I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, would you help them strap on their tool belt and open up their toolbox? If the Apostle Paul can make it through, so can they by the power of your spirit. So, Lord, I'm asking in Jesus' name, with every hand that's surrendered to you, would you empower them and help us make it through this difficult place? In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Hey, Calvary Chapel, here at our church, we memorize scripture. Now, I know we do it every week, but I'm wanting you to keep up. So let's take a look at our sale of verse. It's Nehemiah 8.10. Would you say it with me? The joy of the Lord. Amen. Our challenge to change. My prayer is that you have put this somewhere where you can see every day and you're in prayer. And our challenge to change is that you rise up to reach our community. We're going to be going to businesses, we're going to be going to homes, and we're going to be going to local parks on March 13th, March, thank you, there it is, 16th, 23rd, and the 30th. Now you might be going, I've never actually talked to a person about the gospel. That's your problem. And we want to provide an opportunity for you to maybe stretch your faith for the very first time and reach the community around Dignity Health to invite them to come to Easter. Let's rise up. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.